It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It is another Monday installment of J.C. and Morgan, our new scheduled time, kind of getting a jump on everything. As always, we've got lots to talk about and appreciate you uh, tuning us in, not uh, only live, but of course, so many of you listen later on throughout the day or throughout the week. One quick audio note on that, by the way, Uh, a couple people mentioned that the sound quality on some of the audio platforms was a little off last week. We have addressed it, should be fixed, should be good to go. Not a problem for those of you that watch us now on YouTube. Uh, but we realized many of you don't watch us on YouTube. We encourage you to do so, so you can see our smiling faces on video and all the other little uh, kind of bells and whistles we do. But we also know that many of you are tuning in when you're driving or at the gym or what have you, and you're listening, not watching, uh, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, we'll have that resolved as well. All right, with all that being said, he's J.C. Sherbert. I'm Mike Morgan. We used to say in the radio world... Uh, producing the show behind the glass, Mad Dog, uh, Chris Molinix, but excuse me, Phil Molinix. I don't know who Chris is, but I'm sure he's good people too. <laughs> but uh, sorry about that, Phil. But Phil's not really behind glass. I mean, he has been. He did uh, a 10 year stint for B&E, but that's a long time ago. We don't talk about it. Uh, he's not behind the glass, he's just sitting down at a computer and making this all work and for those that don't know kind of how we make the sausage uh it really is unique with today's technology how we do this because we're never in the same room or even in the same city i'm in atlanta uh, phil is in greenville and jc we just never know where he is but i'm told he's in a hotel somewhere in the commonwealth of kentucky so uh with that being said jc hope you're doing well it looks like you got a couple of nice little prints behind you um this looks like a maybe a three-star hotel that you're staying at is that right no i don't know how many stars it has it's a comfort inn and suites in richmond okay, Kentucky. Two and a half. Two and a half um yeah it's, it's near the bucky's so i'm fortunate enough <laughs> to where the bucky's sort of uh uh dictates where i stop between columbia and chicago because I, I realized I'm getting too old. Like, and, and with the shows and stuff, Mike, I can't, I have to, I mean, you know, the show, and now we got three hours. I can't leave and not do the show because that wouldn't uh, help my audience. But then there's times I need to be back by the week or the weekend, just like with South Carolina and Georgia playing, you know. So I've kind of, you know, been realistic with myself and said, look, you can't make this all in one shebang. You know, it's not. You can't be driving near the Blue Ridge Parkway on I-40 in North Carolina with all the construction and falling rock and whatever the hell else is there, uh, you know, in the middle of the night with trucks zipping by you, tired. You know, you're getting old, JC. So I've planned it, my stops around the Buckies, and there's a new Buckies in Sevierville, Tennessee. So going down, I try to make it at least to Sevierville. Mm. Uh, coming back. I try to get past all that and and past all the mountains and stuff in Kentucky and the hills. And you, you've been up 75 many times. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, and it's a road construction pitfall as well. So mm-hmm. uh, once you get to Richmond, you're right outside of Lexington. 
then it's a quick drive over to Louisville, and then the worst part of the drive is through Indiana. Believe it or not, the halfway point between Spartanburg, South Carolina, and Chicago is Louisville, Kentucky. So hmm. it's you wouldn't think that Indiana was that big of a drive, but it is. And it's awful, but uh, and they're doing. I think they just took their stimulus money and said, "All right, let's just fix every road in Indiana right now." Um, so, and then you get once you get to Gary. If you survive that, <laughs> you're back home, basically. So, uh, so that's kind of yeah. Michael that's kind of my <clears throat> Michael Jackson is from Gary. Uh, it's also been voted the worst city in the country many, many times. Yeah, I've seen uh, that a lot of. A lot of the mean streets of Gary are nothing to shake a stick at. People talk no, about Chicago. No, no, I have heard that. I have not been. Uh, yeah, I've only so been weird. to Indiana once, and that was to um, to call the Chiefs Colts game uh, at the Dome there uh, last year. It's beautiful venue. Uh, I mean, oh, Indianapolis it, it, has it, become it, a legit like destination, big event city. Whether it's mm-hmm. you know college football, Super Bowls. Final Four is what have you. Now, the rest of the state, I, I got nothing. I've never been to Bloomington. I would love to do a game at Assembly Hall. Um, where else would I go in Indiana? I'm not going to Gary. Uh, I think we've established that. Where else am I going in Indiana? Terre Haute? <laughs> I don't know. Terra, I go to French, French Lick. Larry Bird's place. It's There's some cool stuff over towards like Evansville, which is like the try because that's another way you can go. It's another couple hours. You can actually go all the way down through Illinois. I cut over through like eastern or western Kentucky, severe western Kentucky, uh, and kind of go through like uh, Evansville, Indiana, and Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and, and it's kind of like a big tr- four state area over there. Other than that, dude, uh, I, you know, there's the Louisville suburbs, like Jeffersonville, and then there's the Chicago suburbs, and there's Fort Wayne and South Bend. So there, there's there's where you get the other the other Indiana destination, Mike South Bend. That's where. That's where you, the, the next And that is on my bucket list. And I've had yes. invites to go. I have, uh, I've got two things. I've got uh, someone who works in the administration there who's, who's given me some invites, and it just, I haven't been able to work that out on the calendar. And then I have a good friend of mine who listens to this podcast, Moscow Mike, who uh, I grew up with, who went to Notre Dame, was a proud Notre Dame graduate, and, uh, and has been living in Russia for like 20 years um, in, in the business world. Uh, no, he's not an expatriate. He still calls the United States home and comes here often with his kids who are big tennis players. But, um, yeah, he uh, needless to say a lot has changed in, in Moscow uh, over the years. But uh, he listens, and he's a huge college football fan, and he was relieved to see Notre Dame uh, defeat Duke, which Duke just – Wallace Wade Stadium just happens to be my background uh, again this week for those watching on uh, – Again, our YouTube channel. You mentioned you, you Louisville is the spot you you go through. That's home of the undefeated Cardinals, led by Coach Brom. We're running out of undefeated teams. We're running out of really good teams, which brings me into my introduction, JC. As we get ready for another week of college football, September's in the rear view. We are in October, and I, nothing is determined in October by the end of September. But I do think. It's safe to say, and I'm going to use a term the kids say, hold on to your socks, everybody. College football this year is so mid, meaning we don't have a dominating team. We, we, we don't have just a perfect 10 out there. 
Uh, if they if there is one, I haven't seen it yet. Now I've watched every team out there that's that's supposed to be really good. Okay, so I've seen Georgia, who struggled to beat Auburn. I've seen Texas, and I'm high on Texas, but I'm not high enough to say like this is a juggernaut that's not going to lose a game. Uh, I've seen Michigan. They've barely been tested, but they're very good. I've seen Washington. Boy, are they a lot of fun to watch uh, on offense. That passing game, there's nothing mid about the passing game, I'll say that much. seen Florida State, and I've seen Ohio State. Um, Who am I leaving out? I mean, those are, right now, those are all undefeated teams that probably have the best chance at the playoff. You know, the team that I was really high on let me down in LSU. I don't understand with all those athletes how you can't play defense and give up 700 yards. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't understand how Georgia could make a game of it against Auburn. I get it, it's a rivalry game, it's on the road, uh, but that's an Auburn team that couldn't move the football at all against a and I, I just, I, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. There's a lot of things, and we'll do this when we get to our, our look around the SEC that, that don't exactly add up. Uh, but th- that, that's just kind of an overarching. I mean, I, I don't see a great team, JC. Like, who's the best? Southern Cal doesn't play a lick of defense. Not a lick. Not a, not, I mean, just not a, they, they're not interested. And that's, a, that's been a knock on Lincoln Riley going back to his days at, at Oklahoma. <clears throat> Mentioned Notre Dame. Of course, they already have a loss. They struggled to beat Duke on the road. Very fortunate to win that game. So who am I, who, who should I be really all in on right now with the uh, calendar turning to October? I've got a couple ideas in the JC5. I see. I didn't. I, I didn't, I didn't, with, but I, I, I didn't get know, that I yet, know, so Mike. I didn't know. I, I understand. Uh, those of you that don't know, like I said, I was traveling, and I I have failed Mike Morgan by no, you not, have not sending the JC five. Sometimes it's better when we do it. Do Actually, it I like it when I don't know what you got in there. I like to be surprised by the the labyrinth that is the brain inside that dome of one JC Sherbert. <laughs> it's a large dome. Trust me. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, you know, who, who do you get excited about? Because everybody has kind of, you know, the teams that are undefeated, you know, Texas. What, what's impressed me about Texas, Mike, is not 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 really the Alabama game because they had that circle. Uh, I think a lot of people felt like they would win the game. They weren't, after losing by a point the year before, they weren't intimidated. And Alabama had issues and everybody knows. So, so that happened, you know. Uh, but it, it's the games against Baylor, the game against Kansas. Kansas is a good football team, folks. Uh, where they ta- they handle their business, thirty-eight to six, forty to fourteen. So they 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 those are the types of games that Texas in years past has stubbed their toe or flat out lost. You know, mm-hmm. because those everybody in the Big Twelve obviously wants a shot. Up. I mean, they have to like play somebody's rivalry game every week. I'm not making excuses them and their past performances, but they're taking care of business. We'll see what they do against Oklahoma this weekend. Um, but right now, you know, Undefeated in my Oklahoma. mind, yeah, in my mind, Texas has got kind of an edge. Michigan's played nobody, uh, but they've been impressive beating nobody. Um, you know, Florida State, I, I think if it the, the Boston College game sticks in my mind. You know, just the fact that it was two points. And now it's a mess up there. It was a bad weather 
Uh, they struggle historically to BC. Congrats to them for beating Virginia, by the way, and kind of what I think is going to be the bottom dweller bowl in the ACC this year. Uh, you know, FSU has the the talent, I think, to do it. And then Georgia has just kind of been like – Georgia's is one of those teams, man, that, that back-to-back national titles, and they've won, you know, all their games. But they're, they're just – all those guys that are really playing right now for their defense and then their quarterback situation, you got a new offensive coordinator and all that, you know, they aren't the same guys. Uh-oh. We just lost JC's bike. Yeah, he's Am back. I back? You're back. That's the internet connection. So I'm on my hot spot here because – the two-and-a-half-star hotel I'm in does not have uh, workable Wi-Fi at this point. I'm going to have to go charge my phone, too. Like, I'm going to have to plug that in, too, here in a second. But it's uh, And they don't make the bed uh, unless you request it, and uh, I wouldn't try that complimentary breakfast. Those those water uh, powder eggs have been sitting in the, in the back there for about two weeks. Those are the most disgusting things, I think, ever. I mean, yeah, worse I don't than gamble me. on hotel buffet food. I don't mm-hmm. do it. No. Now, now like, I will do the embassy suites. With if you have an omelet lady or an omelet man, I'm in. Well, yeah, you're not getting that. No omelet man, I'm not in. No, not in. Yeah, no. You just just grab your box of cornflakes and hope the milk isn't expired. That would be my uh, my advice. So, uh, <laughs> so okay, you 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 hit on it, um, and just kind of back it up my point. And and as as I'm watching that Georgia game. I'm reminded of something I thought going into the season. That is, there's going to be a time or two this year where they miss Stetson Bennett. That was almost the game. That was almost the game. I don't think they struggle to win that game with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. And this is not a knock on Carson Beck. Carson Beck's not a bad player. I just think there's a difference there. There's a difference there. And if it wasn't for Brock Bowers, you could say they lose that game, uh, who continues to be one of the best players athletes in, in college football, if not the best, but he's not going to win the Heisman, but holy smokes, over 100 yards receiving in the fourth quarter alone. Everybody in that stadium knows he's going to get the football, and they couldn't stop it, and they didn't stop it, and that kind of bailed them out. But um, that was a scary game for the two-time defending champs. You didn't leave that game thinking Georgia is the favorite. At least I didn't. Now, Vegas might have him as the favorite. I don't know. Um, but again, I, I don't think there's just a dominate. I don't think Georgia's as good as they've been the last two years. And I, I don't think there's a dominating team, like obviously like LSU, the, the, the time before that, the, the Joe Burrow team, that team was just stacked all over the place. There's not a team like that this year in college football. Some might say it's a good thing. I mean, it's going to make this thing more exciting because when we do get to the final four, usually remember those semi, uh, games, the semifinals have been dreadful, just dreadful TV, with the exception of a couple, including the Georgia-Ohio State game last year, which was a classic. But if you go back and you track all of them, it's blowout city. I mean, the margin of victory is like 20-something points every time. Because even though it's the final four, there really was only one or two teams that were good enough to win it all. I think this year when we get to that final four, you might have all four teams have a really good shot. Because I just I don't see a clear, uh, defined number one. That I'm saying that on October the second. If you ask me that 
on November the 2nd or December the 2nd, I might have an entirely different viewpoint. That's just my impression now because I, I feel like we've had enough games in there. Most teams have played five. Some have played four. And I have finally have had a chance to watch everybody uh, for a fair amount of time and to kind of you know crunch the numbers, dig a little deeper, and find out what I think these teams are made of. I think there's some there's a lot of good teams. I don't know if there's a great one. Uh, we'll uh, we'll leave that up for debate as we move along. But before we get any deeper into the <clears throat> prologue here, it is time now. And again, the morale of a great nation always relies heavily on the JC5 compiled by JC Sherbert at a two and a half star hotel in Kentucky en route to Chicago. We don't know what to expect. I haven't looked at it yet, uh, but I know it's going to be something good, and we're all going to feel better about ourselves and the future. The future is bright when you hear the JC5. With that being said, JC, what's number one? Well, to your point, Mike, it's, it's crazy because we kind of share the same brain on that. Texas and Penn State could be the best team, two teams in America. Now, we talked about Texas and why I was impressed with them. Penn State, though, quietly is blowing people out of the water. And, and Penn yeah. State under James Franklin, you know, historically, man, they'll have that one game against whoever. And it, in the first half against Northwestern Saturday, it looked like, oh, God, here we go. Second half, they outscored them, outscored Northwestern, who's a mess, you know, thirty-one-three, and blew them away in Evanston. It's kind of funny because James Franklin before the game was talking about how it's not that they have a big crowd you got to worry about; it's that it's going to be real quiet there, like a scrimmage. <laughs> and so he was worried. Ohio State struggled there last year. Of course, there were thirty-five mile per hour winds coming off of Lake Michigan, but Texas, Penn State, you know, kind of two historically blue blood schools that haven't done much. I, I don't know, man, this may be Penn state's year. And it sounds weird with Ohio state and Michigan in their division. Uh, Cause the, I don't think the big 10 switched to, it to the, the, the other format just yet. So, so your thoughts about the, cause we've taught Texas talk about the Nittany Lions. Well, they finally, they finally have a quarterback that I think can be a difference maker. Drew hour. I, I, they haven't had that. There, it's it's almost like they've they've been forced to win games or try to win big games, uh, in spite of the quarterback or the the so-called game manager quarterback, which we all know is a slight. Um, no matter how you slice it, I I don't think he's a game manager. Now is he McCarthy uh, uh, of Michigan? No, but but he he's different than what they've had, and he is surrounded, as has been the case in Happy Valley for a while uh, under James Franklin and even before that he's surrounded by talent I mean they have talent all over the place they have enough talent to beat Michigan to beat Ohio State but they don't they never seem to do it and they've got both those teams on the schedule again this year you got to win at least one of those you, you just have to uh, if you're James Franklin, it's not just for, for this year, but it's for the, the faith of your fan base who always seems to be one foot in on James Franklin, but they never want to dive in the James Franklin pool. Uh, if, you, if you start winning those games, now all of a sudden you are the man. I mean, you are beloved, and they feel like they've got their guy for however many years moving forward. So, yeah, I think Penn State, and that, that is a, uh, a good – place to start off jc because i neglected to mention them 
uh, with all those other undefeated kind of powerhouse teams that I have on there, uh, Penn State certainly, as of right now, deserves to be there. Now, again, they haven't been te- – you know, for all the talk about Big Ten fans, and we have a number of Big Ten listeners, uh, we give love to the Big Ten on this show, and, and I'm going to continue to do it. It might be the best conference in college football this year. That being said, you can't just continually pile on the SEC for playing that, you know, what they call SoCon Saturday or whatever in November. Uh, when you go through the entire month of September with very little to talk about because you load up those MAC teams and those non-con games in September, that's the only difference between what you do and the SEC does. The SEC kind of sprinkles it throughout, early, middle, and then that infamous weekend right before their rivalry games. The, the Big Ten schools, like, you just stack them up like how many of the cupcakes can we get in there early before we get into the grind of the Big Ten slate? And as we know, that for all that's been good about the Big Ten at the top, it's been pretty dreadful at the bottom. And every conference has, you know, the, the, the doormats. I don't judge from the bottom up. I judge from the top down. The Big Ten from the top down, the top is really good. The mid, I don't know. Uh, the, the mid could be better. But, yeah, Penn State, if, if they played somebody, we'd be talking about them more. They have not uh, played a whole lot as of yet. But I think they've got three very legit teams in that league. And that's more than I can say right now for the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12. The pack is – there was an interesting debate on uh, one of the game day shows with Joey Galloway, and he kept saying, well, who the – I mean, we're getting all excited about the pack, but who have they played? Who have they beaten? And there is some legitimacy to that argument. Like, non-con? Like, there's a lot of really good undefeated pack teams with great quarterback play and everything that we thought going in, J.C., but but I do want to see them against better competition to really know where we are with the pack. Yeah, on that point, you know, one team that is playing defense, and this is the next Good segue, Mike. Uh, this is the next thing. The Southern Cal defense is going to cost them, um, and then I'll get you, we can address that in a second. But to your point, I, I think the Pac-12 the, the most impressive wins have been against each other. Uh, you know, Oregon beating Colorado like they did. Colorado rebounds and then you know has a nice spirited fight against uh, Southern Cal. Uh, I think Colorado's a good football team, not a great football team. I think Washington has played, you know, a couple of good challenging non-conference games. And, and out west, the, the problem is um, the problem is we just we're not as familiar with them sometimes. Like the the littler teams that they play, we're, we don't know how good Portland State is. We don't know, you know. And, and whereas if, if they're playing App State, we may. Um, okay, so Southern Cal defense going to cost them. Because I'll tell you this, who is playing defense in that league? Utah and Oregon are both playing yeah. defense in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I think I think you could make the argument, if, if Cam Rising ever comes back, uh, remember it was Cam Rising and Caleb Williams in that showdown last year, and Caleb put his little message on his fingers, uh, and Caleb tucked his tail between his legs and lost the game, and Utah won the Pac. And Utah could very well, if they get Cam Rising back, win the pack again, and so can Oregon. Oregon, to me, looks like a more complete football team for sure than Southern Cal. I, I can't I can't get excited about uh, a Southern Cal team where defense is optional 
It, it just it doesn't look like they're I, – I, I mean, you can't convince me they don't have athletes. I can't break down their too deep, J.C., but you can't convince me that the way they've recruited, they don't have size and speed on their defense. And yet they just don't look interested. I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't know it. I don't but it's the same thing we heard for years and years in Norman under Lincoln Riley when he was redshirting Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, uh, where he was putting up gaudy numbers every year on offense and they never played good enough defense to get to that next level to win an actual championship under Lincoln Riley. I don't think you fix that all of a sudden in like week six. I think that's going to be an issue the rest of the year. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not sold on Southern Cal. It's another team I did not mention at the top because if you can't play defense better than that, it's not just the Colorado game, then to me you're not a, you're not a legit contender. So I, I, I think they're that next tier, but I don't think they're, they're a true national championship competitor right now, uh, and I don't think they'll be this year. I'm calling an audible with my next one because I, I forgot about this piece of news. Duke lost, but they're a legit good football team on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball yeah. and could go to Charlotte. But Riley Leonard has a high ankle sprain, so that's yeah. probably going to derail them. Yeah, how long is he going to be out? I don't. I mean, high ankle sprains are usually a kiss of death, right? You don't; those don't heal up in a week or two, typically. And if you saw the injury at the end of the game. Uh, I, I would have thought I was more worried about his knee than the ankle. It was it was scary bad, and I'm thinking, Mike, they just lost the game. I mean, they they had Notre Dame beat, had them beat. Couple things toward the stretch there, and, and give um, give Notre Dame credit. And I'll, I'll I'll hit this particular subject in the uh, in the boss segment. But Sam Hartman, there's a fourth and sixteen. Notre Dame is about to be done. Duke's about to win the game. It's 4th and 16. Nobody is open. Sam Hartman, who's a decent enough runner, but certainly not known as a runner, gets 17 yards. And at that point, you knew Notre Dame's going to win this game, and they did. Uh, So Duke had it. They lose it. And then Leonard goes down with what looked to be a pretty gruesome injury. And luckily... Uh, he is, okay. I mean, not okay, but a high ankle sprain to me is actually good news based on what I, uh, what I saw. And you're right. Yeah. The, with, with that news, uh, I think that that certainly changes the dynamic. I mean, if you watch that game, Duke's got a really good athletic running back and then they've got Riley Leonard, who, as I've mentioned, I go back to last year, JC, when I saw the kid in person, did one of his games and sat down and met with him and watched his basketball highlight reel where he's doing like 360 slams. Like this kid is a like. How did he wind up at Duke? He wound up at Duke because he's he's out of Alabama. He wanted to play basketball. He wanted to be a a, a basket and could have been a Power Five basketball scholarship athlete. So long story short, he winds up at Duke, uh, completely under the radar, uh, and he's going to be a, a high draft pick in time, which Duke doesn't get a whole lot of those at quarterback. They just they just don't. But everywhere else on the field, I mean Notre Dame. Bigger, stronger, faster. Shouldn't have really been that close, quite honestly. Give Mike Elko credit. Give Leonard credit. Um, but it was also more evidence I'm not a huge believer in, in Notre Dame this year. And you notice I didn't put them in the top either in terms of a national championship uh, candidate right now. But, yeah, uh, best thoughts to, to Riley Leonard, and hopefully he can 
get back. That kid deserves to play. And let me say one other thing about Sam Hartman. That dude is like the classiest guy. I'm watching that game, and it's like well after the game is over. Hartman, his, all his teammates are in the locker room celebrating. He is waiting for Riley Leonard to get out of the tent, the little pup tent that they set up on the sideline for hurt guys, just to make sure he gets out there and says, hey, man, great game. Hope you're okay. And he's done stuff like that before. Like he is, I don't want to be all cliche-ish, but he is everything that college football uh, is about in a lot of ways. Like he is the the perfect representative for that. So he he. he he knows how to come up with the big play and then just shows class, like waiting an extra 20, 30 minutes just to wish Riley Leonard the best after the injury. I thought that was a, a great sight. Very classy. Very, very classy. Um, and uh, and that, that program is, is very classy. I think Hugh Freeze is going to win big at Auburn, and it may not come this year, Mike. But, you know, Auburn is a school that has more resources than Ole Miss. He got it done at Ole Miss recruiting-wise. A lot of the things that derailed him at Ole Miss are so are, are kind of legal now, you know. Uh, I was just so, so impressed with the way that team battled uh, against Georgia on Saturday and the game plan uh, on offense. You know, Auburn does not have a prolific uh, Explosive O this year, man. But uh, they might have the worst quarterback found, in the SEC if we're being honest yeah, the, about it. Well, honest to God, but he rushed for 91 yards on 12 carries because right. he said, "All right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to run him," <laughs> you know. Uh, and and that that's that at times uh, kind of throws defenses off. So I, I I was just impressed with you know the way they battled. Um, you know, it was a, a boring two two years under Brian Harson. And I think they got sick of Gus Malzahn. You're familiar with that fan base and that program. Yeah. I think there's reason for optimism on the Plains, really, for the first time in a while. Totally agree. I mean, this this was the hire that somebody in the SEC was going to make. Enough time had to pass, and uh, a fan base had to be able to uh, kind of look past some of the past, both on and off the field and say, yeah, we embrace this, and we're 100% behind it. And Auburn was that fan base. It was the right time, and it was the right guy. There was no doubt in my mind Hugh Freeze was going to be a good hire for somebody. And you're right. I mean, he he basically – what he's doing at Auburn this year is, is not what he did at Ole Miss because at Ole Miss he had ridiculous talent. Uh, so he was able to run the kind of offense that he wants to, to to run, and he was able to do that at Liberty as well. He doesn't have that right now at Auburn, so he has to be more creative. Some coaches can't do that. Some coaches are, are literally incapable of doing anything outside the realm of what they know in terms of scheme. That is all they know. That is all they've ever taught, and they don't know how to adjust on the fly. That's not the mark of Hugh Freeze, and the really, really good coaches are able to adapt you know, as I've said many times on this show and others, I mean, you look at what Steve Spurrier did at Duke in Florida versus what he did at South Carolina when he had the great run there, and it's entirely different offense because he had different personnel. But great coaches find the advantage, find how to get the most out of what they have, uh, and that's Hugh Freeze. And you're right, the talent is going to come. They're going to recruit well. They're not going to lose the, in the game of NIL at Auburn. We know that. They got, they got money and not afraid to spend it. Uh, and you can do so very legally at this point in time with the rules being what they are or lack thereof. So, yeah, it was just a, it was a heartbreaking loss, I guess, if you're an Auburn fan. But it was a reminder of what's gonna, what it's going to look like on the plane soon enough 
and I think I think it's going to look awfully good. And finally, don't look now, and they've got a big one coming up. Texas A&M is still alive in the SEC West, and that LSU loss, really, the Aggies and Tide right now, uh, along with Ole Miss. I mean, they're kind of the front runners, and you know, I don't know, Mike. That 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 gum. The Miami game seems like it was a long time ago. Uh, good win over Arkansas this past weekend. It was not close like it normally is. <laughs> A&M sort of blew them out. They had a big win over Auburn the week before. You know, heck, Max Johnson, who knows? You know, this this may be a blessing and a godsend. People forget how good he was at LSU. But uh, the Aggies, the Jimbo hot seat talk. It's died down, not that it won't yeah. come back up if they get tattooed by Bama, but look, they're good. I mean, and, and that, that, like I said, they look like a different team than, than the one that got beat down in uh, 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 wherever that is, in Fort Lauderdale, wherever the Dolphins play. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the fact that they have a Max Johnson as a backup is just ridiculous. I mean, there's so many teams out there that are trying to find a true number one and you've got two of them. And so Wigman goes down for the year. That that would be a soul-crushing loss for most programs in college football. But this kid, I, I, I mean, I, look, I've I've had him at LSU. Um, there's there's nothing that's not good about him. He's got the size. He's got the arm talent. He's got the pedigree. Uh, I almost forgot that he was even on their roster because typically kids like that. You know, if you're not starting, you're leaving. Now I know that with the with the new transfer limitations, that might not have been as easily said than done, uh, or done as said, as the case may be. But um, but no, that's a huge luxury. And you know, they've got Anaya Smith, who seems like he's been there forever. Uh, Anaya Smith is is a Swiss Army knife weapon that any college would love to have. And all those five-star kids that they recruited on defense, they're starting to just kind of sprout now. It's starting to look like it. It's such – there's only two, to me, like marquee games in the SEC this weekend, Alabama A&M uh, and Kentucky-Georgia. And we'll talk about the Kentucky-Florida game later, as well as Carolina-Tennessee. But A&M at home against Bama, man, you win that one – and everybody is jumping on that bandwagon. And all that talk about Jimbo's buyout and everything else, nobody's talking about that anymore. You go ahead and beat Alabama, peak Alabama, because Alabama found Alabama had their, their piece of humble pie, and then they had the whole quarterback tryout thing, and you know Nick took a, a beating on that. But if you really understand why he did it, it was actually a pretty brilliant move. Um, and then that, since then, Alabama has looked just fine. Thank you very much. They're just taking care of business. Uh, they annihilated... Mississippi State and before that, that that Ole Miss offense that racked up over 700 yards, they couldn't move the football against Alabama. Uh, so Alabama goes into College Station. That'll be a 3:30 CBS game. Man, oh man, there's a lot riding on that. There is a lot, and that's a survivor game. You, you lose it, you're kicked off the island. You're done for for any chance at the playoff. But if you win it, I don't see now with LSU. I mean, they're out. Speaking of kicked off the island. I think the winner of that game wins the West, and I still believe the winner of the West can beat Georgia. I thought it was going to be LSU. Uh, it might be one of these teams instead, but I'm not convinced Georgia's even going to be favored if they when they make it to Atlanta. 
I'm not convinced that's going to be um, the the lopsided affair that many of us thought it would have been at the beginning of the year. That's five, right? That's that's the JC that five. five. I don't we know about you. Wrapped. I feel better about myself. I think uh, again, the American people are the winner in that segment, and we'll continue to win as we always do here on JC and Morgan. We'll come back. We will go around the SEC. We'll also have our boss segment, who are some of the best performers in week number five in college football. We'll take a deep dive on a defensive coordinator who I still don't think gets enough credit, but once again shined over the weekend in his team's lopsided victory. He's JC. I am Mike. Mad Dog Phil is keeping us technically sound, and we're back after a quick timeout. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in Southern soil, are crafted by Southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Hey, folks, want to tell you about our friends at Titan Construction Group really quick. They're a mid-Atlantic-based general contractor, specializes in retail, restaurant, and office construction. TCG strives to separate itself from other general contractors by adding value every step of the process. From project budgeting to estimation, value engineering to construction, they focus on those relationships and not the transaction. Titan builds partnerships one project at a time. Among their clients are Starbucks, Crumble Cookie, uh, Blake Pizza, Home Goods, 15 plus years experience based in Melothian, Virginia, and contracted in Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So get on their website, Titan cginc.com that's titancginc.com get in touch with brad if you're in need of a general contractor that focuses on going above and beyond for their clients that's titan construction group a proud sponsor of the jc and morgan podcast mike here for elite roofing and restoration chances are you're a homeowner you're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point could be because of wind or hail damage could be because it's just that time the roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances, go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website EliteRoofingGA.com that's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form. Get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. All right. All right, we are back. That's a good spot for a bumper, a musical bumper. Yeah, doing? we'll figure that. Yeah, we got, we got a, little, a, little, a, little, a little, little music there. there. Yeah, a little Tom Petty yeah, or something. A little man. something. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom once saying, uh, I won't back down. Kentucky didn't back down from Florida as we go around the SEC. If you watched any of this game, you would have no idea uh, that Florida is supposed to have more and better athletes. I, I don't think you would have come away with that conclusion. Basically, Kentucky manhandled 
Florida on both sides of the football and dominated this football game. I don't even think the score was as close as 33-14. to 14. I mentioned on the preview of this game, the best athlete on the field would be Ray Davis, and that's why I picked Kentucky. Ray Davis, for those that don't know, was a running back at Vanderbilt. And he was a good player there, but it was at Vanderbilt. So a lot of people, you know, it, it didn't make headlines. Uh, it kind of felt like it was in the abyss. He goes out there and darn near breaks Mo Williams' record at 299 on the ground. Uh, he, he just, he just ran, it was Swiss cheese, ran all over him. The big blue wall is back. They took a, a one-year sabbatical where they couldn't block anybody. And all of a sudden, Kentucky is strong and physical and able to, to dominate a game on the line of scrimmage. That's been the key to Mark Stoops' success. What's interesting to me about this game, JC, is this is what Kentucky, this is what Billy Napier in Florida wants to look like. They want to win games like this. This is Billy Napier's uh, style and overall identity that he wants to see in Gainesville. They don't have it. Kentucky does. And Kentucky has had that. Now, they've got like a 10-year head start with Mark Stoops, who's done this to a lot of people over the years. But Kentucky's now beaten Florida three straight years. Uh, hats off to the ghost of Bear Bryant, because that's the last time Kentucky did that. you got to go back to the 1950s when the Bear was actually coaching Kentucky. Um, they've done it the last two years against Billy Napier. Billy Napier is now 9-9. Nine and nine. And, I mean, basically a, a 500 coach and one win on the road. And so it didn't take long. I was I, I eavesdropped on uh, our guy, Shane Matthews, who we've had on the show, and he does a morning show. And it's a whole lot of talk about what's the buyout on Billy Day. Don't even concern yourself with that, folks. That it's like fifty million. Like it's not happening. It's not happening. Uh, people say, why would you? Why would you put that in the contract? Because if you want to hire an SEC coach, let this be a lesson. You don't do like two million dollar buyouts and get the the coach that you want. That is that is so. Uh, Nineteen ninety seven. In this day and age, and when you're dealing with Jimmy Sexton and those guys. If you want to get a, at that time, Billy Napier was a hot commodity. You don't do that with like a low buyout. You have to offer the world if you're going to get him to sign. And they did. And what it means is it's almost financially impossible. And I'm not saying you should fire a coach after two years anyway. I think it's insane. But it's almost financially impossible to do that. So don't concern yourself with the buyout. But that's the talk right now with a lot of people uh, in in Gator Nation, um, I I think another thing. Let me do a deep dive. Phil, can we cue up Rodney Thornton Mellon and the Triple Lindy? I know I'm doing that last second on you. That's really not a fair thing to do, but there he is. That's Rodney. For those who have never seen the uh, Oscar award winning Back to School movie, uh, it features Rodney Dangerfield. In order to help his son get motivated, he goes back to college, and he's you know about 58 years old or so. And uh, Thornton Mellon goes to college, and he's still a great diver. And he does the triple Lindy, which I wouldn't try. You have to install a special board. There's insurance uh, problems there, and uh, people get killed doing that kind of dive. So I did a deep dive on Brad White. And I, I know enough about Brad White already. I've, I've had a lot of Kentucky games over the years and have sat down and talked to this guy, and he's always been uber-impressive. But for all the defensive coordinators that have gotten so much love in the SEC over the last 10, 20 years, 
and and you know the the, the names like in the SEC in particular, people don't just know the great coaches. They know the great coordinators because they get a lot of love. They get a lot of spotlight. I don't think Brad White does, but Brad White of Kentucky is a guy that he makes about one point four a year. Okay, it's good salary. Good salary. He was a, a walk on at, at Georgia, and then Donnan gets fired, and so he winds up going to Wake Forest. He's a linebacker there. I don't know if he was a great player or not. I don't remember him as a player, to be honest with you, in the early two thousands. And then he immediately starts the the coaching trek, right? A GA at Wake, a safeties coach at Murray State, a linebackers coach at the Air Force. And then he gets his big break with the Indianapolis Colts. Colts, And he coaches there from 2012 to 2017. And somehow Kentucky and Mark Stoops, they lure him away, which we're seeing more and more now with all this money in college football, they're able to, uh, to get, NFL coaches. They have two of them on staff because Liam Cohen, of course, is an offensive coordinator from the NFL. So in 2018, he comes to Lexington as the linebackers coach, and he's been the D.C. from 2019 on. I submit to you, J.C., this guy's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. What you saw against Florida and what SEC fan bases have seen against their teams over the years, they're not doing that with four- and five-star guys. They're doing it with guys like like Josh Allen, who came there as a, a, a low recruit that turns into a stud, right? Uh, they're, they're doing it with guys that you don't know about, that you haven't heard of, because they're not five-star recruits. But, man, they develop kids, and when it comes to Saturday and scheme, they cause a lot of problems. So uh, hats off to Brad White and hats off to Kentucky. Yeah, they do a great job. Because there's not a lot of talent in Kentucky. In fact, if you rank all, you know, however many states there are in the SEC, 12 or whatever, they, they'd be well behind Arkansas, uh, Mississippi, South Carolina, uh, the states you don't normally equate to with having bushels of, of, of future NFL talent. Kentucky's in the single digits just about every year with just blue chippers. It's a basketball state. It's not, you know, they have one metropolitan area. Uh, in Louisville, and, and then Lexington, sort of more of a basketball city. It, it, but what he's done is he, he's he's found a blend. And I tell a lot of people this in the South Carolina market sometimes about recruiting. You know, yes, every now and then you can sign a top five or ten class, but most programs that are, are sustainable, they have a what I call a recruiting blend. They're like, okay, well, we can't just rely on Kentucky talent, obviously. And in previous years, Rich Brooks and Joker Phillips did a good job of keeping that program bowl eligible because they go into Georgia, they go into the Carolinas, they go into Florida and and recruit what I call the third tier. Like these guys that they would recruit, if you develop them, they're they're good enough to play in the SEC, probably not start most places, but you get enough of them and hit on enough of them, you can win six games, uh, especially with the, uh, the Kentucky scheduling formula, which is money. You know, for them, what's what is what Stoops has done and how he's elevated it is, you know, number one, they were patient with him. You know, I can remember in 2016, I guess it was his fourth year. They there was a little hot seat talk, but since then he's been they, they've been patient. They've rewarded him. He figured out he got out of map. He's from Ohio. He got out of map. Ohio people don't understand the amount of talent that comes out of Ohio because. Uh, that's kind of the breadbasket of the Big Ten. You look at any Big Ten roster, there's a bunch of Ohio kids. 
Uh, it's for the fifth largest talent producing state. Well, they're very close to Ohio. It's not that far from Lexington, Cincinnati. So, uh, and then those southern places and all what. So you go sell the SEC in Ohio, and yeah, you're not you're not beating Ohio State on kids, but you're beating Michigan sometimes. Sometimes you're beating Michigan. All those kids that used to go to Michigan State that, that won championships for Mark D'Antonio are coming your way, and so there's your base. Well, then they also go and find a guy like Josh Allen who was committed to Monmouth for football <laughs> out of New Jersey, and you develop him. They're really good at, at, at hitting both the JUCO ranks and these days the transfer portal. Uh, Ray Davis, like you said, out of the portal. Devin Leary's out of the portal. And, uh, and they put them all together, and, and away they go. So they uh, – and Will Levis came from Penn State, right, out of the mm-hmm. portal. So so they are great at filling in the gaps. Wandell came uh, he's from Nebraska. Real- yeah, he's really good at developing the both both lines of scrimmage because uh, he's that, that's Stoops, you know, and and it's it's turned into a very consistent uh, type of situation up there. And uh, and if you're Florida and you're kind of in this pseudo transition right now, uh, and you go up there and you don't play your best, you can get your butt beat. I mean, and that, that's just that you got to bring a lunch pail when you play Kentucky. They're not undefeated. They're not indestructible, but they are. They are a program that, that the way they're built, the way they're designed, they're always dangerous. And 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 you're right. Brad White is a big part of that because they will play defense. They will get you stopped. You know that, that it's not always great, not always perfect, but they have enough players, enough scheme uh, to where you you better watch out. You better you better bring your coaching hat, your lunch pill when you play them. Yeah, no, no, and they did this, by the way, with Devin Leary couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He, he, I don't know what's happened to him, uh, but the last two years for Devin Leary, I know he had some injuries, but he just doesn't look like the same player he was a few years ago at at NC State, where people were talking about him like a potential first round draft pick. Nobody's uh, saying that anymore. But um, uh, again, uh, kudos to to White for just doing a great job with that program uh, over the years. Uh, Alabama blew out Mississippi State. This was not really a, a huge test, but Milrow threw for 164. He ran for two touchdowns. And they, they did what they needed kind of methodically uh, t- to win in Starkville. That's you know not going to be a year yearly game anymore. You know, the two closest SEC teams in terms of geography when the new schedule comes out, uh, that will no longer be an annual affair. Ole Miss over LSU. We talked about this some. This was the this was the game of the weekend in college football, fifty five to forty nine, uh, and Jalen Daniels was superb and deserved a better fate, but <clears throat> that didn't matter because he was outdone by Jackson Dart and Ole Miss, and they just lit it up. I, I again, when it was Coach Orgeron, it was a discipline thing. You had a bunch of just stud defensive players that didn't look engaged, interested, disorganized. That's not the case to that level, but there's something wrong. There's just there's just something. There's no way that collection of talent should look that bad ever in a college football game. But they did, and it's not the only game where I feel like they've underachieved defensively. And it's crazy because Matt House, their D coordinator, gets a lot of like – future head coach in the national media. That's uh, right. Don't know why. I mean, that they, the games they won last year that were impressive were sort of high scoring games. I mean, I, I don't, 
you know, I don't sure, I'm not sure where some of this stuff comes from. But anyway, I think that uh, that's a tough loss for Brian Kelly. LSU is a program that, you know, even the year they scored all those points, man, they were good on – they were not great on defense. They were not like 2003 LSU great on defense or 07, but they were good. I mean, they had studs back there, and they could get people stopped. Um, I don't understand it. I mean, you can't – if you're LSU, that's not in your DNA to go be like this, oh, we're going to lose games like Texas Tech. But I'll say this. Credit Lane Kiffin and his brain for that game and that game plan. He absolutely owned them. Absolutely owned them. I think he was embarrassed by what happened the week before. Uh, obviously, that offense is capable. But but credit Lane Kiffin. I mean, because he that that we talk we kind of talk about him being the next Steve Spurrier or the closest thing to Steve. Well, there's another part to that besides his honesty and his quips to the media. It's that. Uh, he's a, he's an outstanding play caller. You could tell he was kind of in the zone. Um, you know, Jackson Dart, who I'm not overly like in love with, uh, played one of his best games. I, I just you know, hats off to Ole Miss because we were talking about that. What, what, where's Lane Kiffin's signature win? Yep. Well, there it is. There you go. There it is. There, yeah, there it is. And so, and they're right back there in it, Mike. You know, you got mm-hmm. a loss to Bama, but they still have A and M to go. Uh, on the schedule, they've got the tiebreaker with LSU. Uh, we'll, we'll see sort of what happens. I mean, t- Bama, you know, if Bama goes down to A and M, you know, that's one loss, and then you never know what's going to happen the rest of the year. So, I, I you know, uh, hats off to them for getting up off the mat and and winning that football game. They finally got Judkins an A game. He brought it, 177 yards on the ground. I don't know where he's been this year, but when he's on, he's one of the most talented running backs in the country. And that's the other misconception with Lane Kiffin's offenses, much like it is with Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Uh, when they're truly on, they're they're running the ball. They're, they're gobbling up yards and yards on the ground. Tennessee came into that game against South Carolina, the number one rushing team. Uh, they pretty much stayed that way being able to to control the game on that front. But that's what Lane Kiffin's offenses have done over the years. When they're going right, they're running really well. Uh, and they ran all over LSU when they weren't throwing all over LSU. Uh, I'm with you on Lane. Look, I said this before. There was a time where Lane Kiffin was not a very attractive candidate to me. Uh, but everybody's got a different cycle in life. He, I think he's matured a great deal both as a coach and, and on his personal life. He's a different guy, and I love him in the SEC, and I love him at Ole Miss. He's not going anywhere. He's living his best life in Oxford. So for those the rumors that were all around there about him leaving for Miami and him leaving for this job and that job, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's real happy where he is. The Ole Miss fan base will celebrate him if he goes 8-4. and four. It's not the case at a lot of other jobs. Uh, and Oxford, this just ends pretty cool town. Uh, it's not a bad place to be in the fall or year-round for that matter. So congratulations to Lane Kiffin. That is a signature win. No mistaken about that. They outscored LSU in the fourth quarter 21-7. to And you, I love the way you phrased it. Uh, there's a rhythm to play calling, and, and you can get in the zone, and the great ones have that. Anybody can just steal the, the barbecue recipe, right? Like anybody can just learn. you got a lot of coaches right now that, quite frankly, are more figureheads than they are – creators you have a lot of head coaches that they they know how to put a headset on 
but they have no background in calling plays and know what it's like to make adjustments at halftime and get into a rhythm and do all that. They're just sitting there and delegating everything to coordinators. Lane is still one of the best offensive minds out there, and he proved that on Saturday. Uh, I mentioned it before, Tennessee, South Carolina. You know, th- this is a, a a game where the whole theme coming in, and certainly the TV crew pumped this up, is kind of the revenge tour for what happened last year when the Gamecocks and Spencer Rattler completely derailed Tennessee's hopes of being in the playoff. Uh, uh, Hendon Hooker's hopes of being a Heisman Trophy finalist, a, a number of things. They just completely annihilated the Volunteers at williams Price. This was a different game, J.C., but I don't know if it was a different game for that reason. I just thought uh, Carolina went back to this, this looked like week one against the Tar Heels. They couldn't block. You got Spencer Rattler running all over for his life. Uh, the the big run by Anderson for 75 or so yards, but other than that, you know they they don't have push on the line, and they just they got dominated up front. And you know, Joe Milton is fine. Again, I'm not convinced. Haven't been that he's an elite quarterback, but he doesn't need to be because they they gashed Gamecocks defensively, and again won the won the game on the line of scrimmage. Um, and Spencer Rattler almost in in those type of settings has to be perfect and he was against Mississippi State he wasn't in this game he threw a pick six but it's not on him it's it starts up front and that you have to wonder if that's going to continue to be an issue for Carolina this year well yeah you can't get gassed in the run game like that like they did and you know look Josh Happel's offense is uh, is an Art Bryles hybrid uh, a lot of people just kind of say, oh, air raid, they're going to throw it all over the place. No, there's different types of air raid. I remember Bryles in um, 2015, they played a bowl game against North Carolina, whatever the Cheez-It Bowl or it, we used to be or what, the other Orlando game, right? So they, they, they had like an injury and an opt-out. So they didn't have a quarterback. They lined up their receiver at quarterback. And this dude proceeds to, to lead a rushing attack. They rushed for 680 yards against the Tar Heels and beat them like 69-35. This offense that Tennessee runs is also designed to run the football. People don't realize that. And South Carolina, you know, oh, goodness gracious, they had such a great game against Mississippi State. Now the other run defense is good. They didn't stop them. And then the offensive line, you know Tennessee is going to bring pressure. And they got pressure with four all night. Uh, and you can't run the ball. I, I would have liked to have seen South Carolina probably. I mean, I don't know, go downfield a little more. But you know, they they're, they're dealing with that. You know, with, without Juice Wells, that's hard. Amarian Brown, their other receiver, was kind of banged up. But this just isn't a very good South Carolina football team right now. They're just not the the way last season ended. This is not that same team. They've got serious serious problems on defense. I mean, like. Hopefully, somewhat fixed patchwork. You can patch it up, but you're not going to keep it floating for very long like this. They got to go. They got to go recruiting. Some of these guys that are on the roster are disappointing. Quite frankly, they were highly rated recruits. They're just not that good right now, and then it's it sucks because they've for the Gamecocks because they've played good in spurts individually, but they just can't seem to put it all together on that side of the football offensively. I'm, you know, you can't really dive in and say, well, they need a new offensive line coach because this offensive line coach has a lot of studs coming in, and I think you're seeing that the, the true freshman offensive linemen are the best they've got, and they're going to just going to get better. So 
there's brighter days ahead there. There's no excuse for having the running back situation they do. Uh, nice run by Anderson, but he, that was it. You know, I don't even know. I guess he's a little faster than I thought. But uh, And then, you know, I don't think Spencer had his best game, but uh, I also think he didn't have any help. So, you know, the game guys have an open week. They have uh, Florida coming in, which is going to be a big game for both teams uh, here in two <laughs> weeks at Williams-Brice. Uh, and they go to Missouri and to A&M. Uh, the good news is for Gamecock fans out there is uh, they got four home games in November. Uh, and you got Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt and then Kentucky and Clemson coming in. Who knows what will happen in November. But if I'm Carolina, I'm glad I got those, those uh, home games there in November kind of in my back pocket because it may, it may get – it may get worse before it gets better with, with a road trip to College Station and a road trip to Missouri, who's playing very well right now. Yeah, if you want to know how things don't make sense, and again, my, my theory on college football as a whole is that when you, talk, when you take those elite teams out, and we mentioned them at the top of the show, the difference between like team number 11 versus team number 30, team number 18 versus team number 42, it ain't much because they're all flawed teams and most of them are vulnerable in spots and most of them are not dominating in, in one side of the football or the other. So, for example, if you watched Florida dismantle Tennessee, Tennessee couldn't run the ball against Florida. Florida ran all over Tennessee. So you say, oh, you, may, you, you could draw a conclusion that Florida is this really physical team and Tennessee, oh, that kind of finesse Josh Heupel offense, they're not, they're not really tough enough. Okay, You could draw that conclusion if you just watch that game in a vacuum. I think Tennessee was like 30 rushes for 100 yards. Couldn't run the ball, got beat up. That's how Florida won the game. That same Florida team goes to Kentucky, gets completely annihilated on the line of scrimmage. Ray Davis runs all over Florida, and Florida can't do much on the ground against Kentucky, and on – Florida's the team in Kentucky, the big blue wall, and they're the overly physical team. That same Tennessee team that you might have drawn the conclusion that they were soft and they weren't really sturdy enough up front, well, they just ram it down the Gamecocks' throat, and, oh, by the way, they're still number one in yards per carry at like over six yards per carry in the SEC. You see what I'm getting at? Like, If you try to draw a conclusion on one game on these middle teams, you're going you're gonna to go back and forth. You're going to vacillate from one – identity to another because none of them are that good they're just they're just not uh, and i i would put ten like i didn't come away with that going oh man tennessee is like they were last year because they poured it on the gamecocks in the second no nah, i don't think tennessee is a great team i don't think tennessee is one of the top couple of teams in the sec this year uh and we're going to see more i'm going to we're going to learn more about kentucky in future game i'm not just based that just based on the way they dominated a, a, a very average florida team that Kentucky is just going to be able to dominate the rest of the year. I think all those teams, when they're playing at home, they can beat the other middle teams. When they're playing on the road, sometimes they look very vulnerable. But I, I don't think any of those teams – I don't think we draw these conclusions um, about any of them that, that, that they're that good at any one particular phase or that good in, in general. I think it's just a lot of mediocrity at, the, at, that, at that spot in, the, uh, in the, the tiered system, if you will. Georgia better be careful. I mean, I'm going to say this because Kentucky, what was that score last year, Mike? 16-6? Yeah. 
Kentucky, arguably two years ago in Athens, gave them their biggest battle. They're not scared of Georgia. I mean, unlike some other teams that have gotten just thumped by the dogs the last few years, I mean, they're, they're not scared. That's going to be a game to watch now. The Kentucky pulls that upset. I mean, now I'm sold. If they do that, look I, I, out. I, I, yeah. I'm, all, yeah, look I'm out. all in. I'm, I'm not just putting Brad White in the uh, <laughs> in the deep dive segment. I'm I'm putting everybody. I'm. I mean, we talked enough about Stoops, but I, I'm I'm pumping up everybody now. Uh, word to the wise, and see, this is what Brad White will do. Brad White will make sure Brock Bowers does not get 100 yards receiving in the fourth quarter of that game. Brad yeah. White will make sure that that Brock Bowers is bracketed, that he is the guy. Because there's no other receiver on that team that you're overly concerned with. I'm not saying they're chopped liver. I'm just saying they don't they don't impact the game the way Brock Bowers does. You cannot let that happen the way Auburn did in the second half and I it wasn't all Bowers just like shaking and baking and getting wide open a lot of the times he just wasn't covered I don't know how that what they do is what Georgia does they've always got him in motion or they've got him lining up in the backfield or they've got him lining he doesn't line up like a typical tight end so they do force matchup issues it's not like on accident I want to give them credit for that um and we're all familiar with Mike Bobo, right? I mean, he knows a thing or two about drawing up X's nose on offense. But I have a feeling it'll be a little bit more difficult uh, for Bowers to do that against Brad White in Kentucky on that defense. But you're right. That is the other signature game. That'll be 7 o'clock ESPN. LSU, Missouri. Missouri is 5-0, and and no one is talking about Missouri. If they beat LSU at home and go to 6-0, and then you will be hearing more and more about Mizzou. Uh, Mississippi State battles Western Michigan. I say battles. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that's a good time for, for them to get Midwest the Broncos, man. <laughs> they need a win. Knock off the mighty ball. Broncos of Western Michigan. Uh, Vandy at Florida. If you're Billy Napier, do not lose to Vandy at home. And mm. uh, Arkansas Ole Miss will be the nighttime game. I hate to see. I hate to say this, but uh, I said it was coming down the pike, and it is. If this is not how you judge what reality is, but if you look on the internet and you look on social media and you look on, there's a lot of heat coming Sam Pittman's way. Like the love affair with Sam Pittman is Joe Sixpack, we love you, and and he pulled off all those upsets his first couple of years. That that stock, that goodwill has faded fast in the land of the hogs. Um, I think there's a whole lot of people there that still believe Arkansas should be Bobby Petrino good. And they're now losing games in a way that I, I think Arkansas Nation, while they love Sam Pittman, and they would still want to have a six-pack with Sam Pittman. Who wouldn't? Heck, if he came to my door, I'd invite him in. I got some Modellos in the fridge. We'd, we'd have a grand old time. Uh, and I hope I, I'm rooting for Sam Pittman to keep his job. But I'm telling you right now, it is getting to a fever pitch there uh, where I don't think that I think the honeymoon has started to fade a little bit. Just uh, just saying. So that is your look around the Southeastern Conference. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back with the boss, the best performers of week number five in college football. Also dig into the mailbag as well. He's JC. I'm Mike. More coming up after a quick break. 
Mike here for Elite Roofing and Restoration. Chances are you're a homeowner. You're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time. The roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials materials, and colors to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form, get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down Ohio, down the Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And chicken cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, which is today Bourbon County. Hey, this is Mike Morgan, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone just keeping the dream alive like me, you'll want to make sure you have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where the world-renowned Dr. Michael Hatrack of Synergy Sports Wellness and Synergy Release Sports come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and he has served thousands of people, including over 400 NFL players, over a career that spans 47 years. Yeah, he's that good. And his staff's personalized biomechanical treatments and therapies can handle it all. Back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. We all know the injuries, but few know the solutions the way Dr. Hatrack and his terrifically trained staff do. I've seen others. No one delivers the results the way they do. That's why people from all over the country come to Synergy's two Georgia locations, Buckhead and Alpharetta. Dr. Hatrack has trained a team of chiropractors in his proprietary technique that has been proven to yield life-changing outcomes from professional athletes to the Joe Schmoes of the world like, well, me. Check out the website to set up an appointment today, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCandMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can reach your wellness goals. All right, we're back for another segment here on JC and Morgan on a Monday. Again, thanks to everybody tuning in on all our formats or platforms uh everything from google play itunes spotify and now youtube facebook and twitter as well time for the boss top performers week five in college football presented by the man on the top of your screen the boss himself jb Uh, i mentioned this before sam hartman that run on fourth down and 16 that's a season maker right there if Notre Dame wins out, they still get a great shot at the playoff. I don't think they will, but they still have a great shot at the playoff if they do. And you'll look back at that 17-yard scamper by Hartman. Gutsy play, keeps them alive. That was the difference, and they went over Duke. Kudos to Duke, by the way. I mean, they, they brought it. The crowd was great. Uh, the game day was great for them. And they showed themselves well. I'm, sh- I'm sure a lot of people looked at that game and said, Duke's going to get pantsed. They're going to get absolutely embarrassed 
finally on the big stage. They were not embarrassed at all. They lost a heartbreaker. Lane Kiffin, 706 yards of offense for Ole Miss. You know how many times they were sacked, J.C., in that game? Jackson Dart. How many times he was dropped by that uber-athletic LSU defense? None. Zero. That's right. Goose egg. Donut. Imagine that. 706 yards, a lot through the air, not a single sack by LSU's defense. I, I don't get it. I just just do not get it. Jackson Dart in that game, he was boss-like. Threw for 389, four touchdowns, also ran for a touchdown. Uh, Jaden Daniels was outstanding, as always, uh, but Jackson Dart certainly was up to the task as well. Ray Davis, we talked about, 280 rushing yards against Florida in a big matchup in Lexington, and the ghost of the bear. The ghost of the bear. There's a lot of youngsters out there. You don't know that Bear Bryant coached Kentucky before he left for Alabama. 1948 to 1951, the bear and his Wildcats defeated the Gators four straight years. They've now won three in a row for the first time since then. Brock Bowers, 157 yards, touchdown, and over 100 of those came in the fourth quarter. Without that, they don't beat Auburn. You got yourself the upset of the day in college football if that doesn't happen. Talk about under the radar. Remember when everybody was piling on Brent Venables last year? Not me. I, I'm confident Brent Venables is still going to do good things at Oklahoma. It wasn't clicking last year for a number of reasons. They're 5-0. and And Dylan Gabriel threw for 366 and five TDs. He's very quietly having a good year. Oklahoma's back. Whether or not they can beat Texas, we'll find out on Saturday. That's one of the games of the season for sure. Speaking of under the radar, Neil Brown in West Virginia feels boss-like right now. They're 4-1. The only loss was to Penn State. I'll admit Mm. it. I'll raise my hand. I had them fired. (laughs) I had them fired before the season even started. Going to be pretty hard to fire him if he keeps winning games. Going to be pretty hard to fire him if he's in the Big 12 championship game. 4-1. I, I, I have no, I've got nothing either. I've got I, you nothing know, either. I, I, they were picked last too. I mean, dead it's, last. Uh, dead last. I mean, and, and I, I thought maybe pick, maybe pick them ahead of the, the newer guys. I would kind of understand it if it was like the uh, yeah. Hats off to the West by God Virginia, as as uh, Bill King likes to say. Yes, West by God Virginia, country home. Mountain Mama. Uh, Brady Cook of Missouri. He's been boss all year, despite the fact that for much of the year the fans were booing him in introductions back in Como. 11 touchdowns, zero picks. He threw for 395 in the win against Vanderbilt, and he set an SEC record. Now, 10 years from now, if this trivia question comes up at a bar and you say, what SEC quarterback holds the record for most passes without an interception? Ain't nobody going to guess Brady Cook, but he has the record now with 348 consecutive passes without a pick. 348 for Brady Cook. I didn't mm. see that coming. Yeah, didn't either. Frequency's uh, offense, though, is designed to limit picks um, for passes, things like that. So they... They're off to a pretty good start, man. Uh, that 61-yard field goal really kind of boosts them. And honestly, you know, they haven't uh, 
they didn't have the toughest start to SEC play with, with Vanderbilt, you know. But uh, no. it's a it's a team, you know. And I, I know some people that coach out there, and they they felt in the preseason like they were kind of going to be pretty good this year. So uh, they got a lot of good personnel on defense, and they thought Cook would get better. Luther Burden would would probably emerge. So hats Burns off a stud. Them. Yeah, I mean that that's they, they they got one of the best wide receivers in the league. There's no doubt about it. But I think most people looked at Cook like, eh, try to win games in spite of the quarterback play. They've been good. Like you said, the schedule hasn't been beefy yet. It's about to get that way. We'll see how they do at home against an LSU team that's licking its wounds. Does LSU bring any heart to that game, knowing now that they've been eliminated? As I always like to say about a lot of the Florida schools, swagger is a great thing until you, until you take a punch in the mouth. And then all of a sudden, it's like the latter part of Mike Tyson's career where he realized he couldn't just intimidate everybody. And all of a sudden, he was getting knocked out as opposed to vice versa. So you got plenty of swagger. Okay, now you know you're not playing for a national championship. Are you still going to show up and fight and play and dominate the way you should with the amount of talent that you have on the roster? Uh, Finally, James Madison, the Dukes. You know they're FBS now, right? They're not. This is not an FCS program. They're five and zero. Oh. Did you know they're not bowl eligible though? Look at me. Why you ask? It's, it's. Am I wrong on that? I I believe they're not eligible. Oh, it's because of the yeah the the transition the transition thing. rule. Yeah, they're they're prohibited from competing in the conference championship game and a bowl game this year. Because the rule is, and this is so stupid, they're in the midst of a two-year transition period going from FCS to FBS. So for two years, you can't compete in conference championship games or bowl games. Why the hell is that a rule? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm fighting for you, Dukes. I'm fighting for you, Charles Haley, proud JMU alum. A crazy person, but a damn good pass rusher. Uh, James Madison should be able to compete for all those things. It's the second year now they've been FBS, but two years you gotta you just sit there on the sidelines again makes zero sense. It's and so that is dumb. the cause. Very dumb. Very, 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 very dumb. Thank you. You are not very smart in CWA. Take the rest mm. of the night off, James Brown. Jane is working overtime here. Uh, again, our there we go. our boss segment, our boss segment uh, presented by some fine folks. Dixie Cock Bourbon originated in Paris, Kentucky. Fine chicken cock near you on the Chief Sports app. One of the fastest growing bourbons in the U.S. Smooth, little to no aftertaste or bite. Serving J.C. and Morgan. Get your chicken cock bourbon today. It's a little early right now for the chicken cock. I'll tell you what, later on, yeah. I'd certainly be more than happy to uh, take part <laughs> hey, in that. I, I'd say it's very popular. And I'll tell you, I, 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 look, on that note, uh, I think uh, everybody out there listening or a lot of people like like the chicken cock that have tried it. And you, you just got to mm-hmm. trust us on it. Um, if you go to your local package store or place of, of that sells liquor, they don't have it, request it. Uh, I found that when I was uh, up near the lake in Columbia over the weekend, uh, the place didn't have it. So I was like, you need to order it. Yeah. And then I had two of my friends call and tell them to. So, yeah. Uh, and, like, and I'm not a bourbon drinker. So uh, I just know that 
my friends that are are very picky about it. Or, or they've got, let's just say they have great taste in it, and yeah. they all love it. So, well, I am cup. a bourbon drinker, Ooh. and I, I will stand by the product. I will tell you that. I'm, you're not a bourbon drinker? I think a lot of people listening would be surprised to, to hear that. I just drink beer, man, and it's a uh, gold-colored American beer. I'm not a lager guy. You know, I'll have an IPA every now and then if that's all they've got. Yeah. Um, and I can get it draft and stuff. But, no, nah, I'm, I'm beer. I'm Miller Lite. <laughs> Miller Lite. You know what? Miller Lite. That fits. Uh, the uh, well, the wife and I the <laughs> wife and I the other night went to a comedy club and uh, broke it, broke out the margaritas. Tequila... Man, it, it seems like a good idea going down, but you have two or three margaritas, and you don't it, you just don't taste it. It makes for a very unproductive next day. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say day. that. It makes, so when did you go? Friday night? You went Friday night? Yeah. Last went, week, last uh, Thursday night. I'm sorry. Thursday night. Um, oh, Thursday. Good, because I, I know I got you on the phone on Saturday, and I felt bad. I was like, oh, man. Oh, no, 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 no. Mike, no had to, was... Mike had to talk to my chatty butt at like no, 10 no, o'clock no, no. in the morning. No, you were great. Oh, man. Oh, God. Okay. No, no. You were, you were, <laughs> I, was, I was up to that conversation at that point. Sweet. But I can tell God, you for, for, about, for about 15 to 20 hours after uh, uh, a – trio of margaritas and i don't know how much tequila and i don't even know what they were serving in it because it's a comedy club so you know um it's it's not probably not the the best quality out there um yeah not always a good idea i'd rather just go to my bourbon i'd rather just drink my bourbon and uh and feel good about that uh all right we're gonna feel good about wrapping things up on the mailbag We've got three or four here that I've got time to get to. Terry from Atlanta, any reason for concern with my Bulldogs? Not exactly impressive on Saturday. Not the same team as the last two. I'll certainly agree with the last part. Actually, I'll agree with everything you said, Terry. I I don't think they're as good as the last two. Doesn't mean they can't three-peat, because I don't think there's a great team in college football this year. I don't think there's that dominating juggernaut on both sides of the football. Uh, And I don't know if there's anybody in the SEC that I – that I trust that can, for four quarters, play better than Georgia. Georgia, for whatever reason, sleepwalks in the first half, and that's a real dangerous way to live. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I yeah. the, the, the Kentucky game is very intriguing to me. They're not going to lose most of the other games left on that schedule, but Kentucky's very intriguing. I'll say this, too. Like, okay, so in Knoxville, when they go up there later, that – you know, you, okay, so South Carolina's up 14-3. Auburn's up 10 nothing early. Tennessee will have 28 on the board on you with their tempo mm-hmm. and, and what they run. Missouri will probably is a little more close than those teams that jump all over you. And that's when they got to worry with these, these, these starts, these late starts, so to speak, uh, for the dogs. But I, I think we'll learn a little more about Georgia this weekend. Um you know, it, 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 t- Kentucky obviously, like I said, those kids aren't going to come in there intimidated. They've they've actually played Georgia quite better than just about anybody the last two years. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and I just think it's a team with a lot of great young players, kind of like 2019 and 2020 when, hey, Georgia was, what, 10-2. and two. Everybody's talking about the next Alabama, which means there's not ever going to – there's probably not going to be another Alabama in our lifetime, folks. That's just – that that was whatever yeah. they were doing, and maybe they continue to do it this year. Who knows? Is unprecedented. 
you know, that didn't, that didn't happen before Nick Saban got to Alabama and it won't happen afterward, but, but you can still be one of the best teams in college football and collect trophies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it just, when you're young, sometimes, yeah, maybe you are 10 and two instead of 12 and out. But, um, I, I just see a lot of young, really good players. They didn't play a whole lot the last two years. They're out there kind of feeling their way. And I think Georgia, like a lot of teams that are young, will get better and better as the year goes on. Not all five stars are built the same, and I'm not knocking any of Georgia's defensive linemen because just about anybody in the country would be more than happy to have them. But like a Jalen Carter, for example, who was the most unblockable player in college football a year ago, you don't have you don't just recreate that just because you get five stars every year. There's five stars, and then there's certain players that are just a, a level above. Jalen Carter was a unique freak that you could just put in the in the center of that line and stuff and just jam everything up, and he, he causes havoc in the backfield. He's already doing some of that in the NFL. I don't see that type of player. The two the the defense two years ago. Well, you combine that with Davis and Dean and like that's a generational type defense. Just because you keep getting four and five star players doesn't mean you're going to have that every year. I don't think they have that this year. And again, Carson Beck's been fine, but I'll say this for Stetson Bennett, man, there was just something about him that intangibles off the roof, off the charts, and and I think he was a a better player for that offense than Carson Beck. Not a knock on Carson Beck. I'm just telling you, I thought Stetson had a little something special. Uh, Jimbo from Gville. How good is Kentucky? They looked like Bama or Georgia against the Gators at home. Why is Napier's offense so unimpressive? And why are they? Why so many stupid penalties? Didn't this guy coach under Saban and Dabo and have the best three-year run ever at the University of Louisiana? Is it wrong to think UF should look better than it has on the road. No, it is not wrong that they should look better, period, and more disciplined, period. And that's the thing that really stands out when you watch that Florida team and their losses against Utah and Kentucky. The amount of pre-snap penalties. The Once again, you had a situation where you had 13 guys on the field. Kentucky scored anyway. But you have thir- how do you have 13 guys on the field? Like, I just and, and let them score. <laughs> and let them score. I mean, like Notre Dame had ten. I don't know which is worse. Notre Dame had ten on the on the game winning play for Ohio State. Florida multiple games this year is at thirteen. Uh, that's that's the kind of stuff like Billy Napier was supposed to clean up. That was like the Dan Mullen undisciplined. That 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 was the old school. The new school is supposed to be well. This is going to be a crisp, well run, oiled machine. It, it's not that yet. It, it's not that yet in uh, in Gainesville. That's for sure. Uh, it's a Florida thing. Look, man, you're talking about a program that almost that probably calls itself a playoff berth because somebody threw a shoe. Yeah. And it's, and it's Quincy Wilson. Yeah. I mean, Wilson, Wilson yeah. of all people, you know? I'm yeah. like, I mean, he's a good, I know his dad. He, he's, you know, I, I'm like, Florida, since the Spurrier era, has not played good football. Urban Meyer's teams were very heavily penalized. They were just good enough to overcome it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you can hang that on Billy Napier right now. Now, his offense? Yeah, but you knew that going in. All you had to do is watch Louisiana and go, okay, so they kind of run the quarterback, and that's their – okay, uh, you know. They, they weren't this great Sunbelt offense. They were kind of grind you down and played a lot of close games and won most of them, you know. I think he gets that job, though. Expect. 
I think he gets that job based more on uh, the first point from Jimbo, and that is, you know, didn't this guy coach under Saban and Dabo? And like, his pedigree mm-hmm. would imply, for, let's take Louisiana and throw it out the window, because I think a lot of people don't know really what to make heads or tails out of what he did in the Sun Belt. But his background and his, his I mean, it's the steps he took to get that job certainly would lead you to believe that this is a team that's going to be disciplined, going to play smart football, and, and they haven't done that as of yet. Uh, so, I mean, I, I get it. I get why that's a, a question. And you know what else this is? And you know this, J.C., whether it's uh, Ohio State, Michigan, whether it's uh, Carolina, Clemson, um, Auburn, Alabama, when you're struggling – there's only one thing that makes it a hundred times worse is when your in-state rival is starting to, they're starting to blossom. So they look at, they look at two hours up the road and they say, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I mean, they, they had a mess. (laughs) Willie Taggart took a, took a Ferrari and just drove it into a cliff. And, and then he took a sledgehammer on top of the car sinking in the water and then just, you know, broke the windshield and just kept going, put salt in the gas tank, did everything he could. And it didn't happen overnight for Coach Norvell, but now all of a sudden they might be a playoff team. So for those that, like, say, and I've heard this before too, uh, well, I mean, Florida for 100 years wasn't that good. Like, they had a pocket of success under Steve and they had a pocket of success under Urban. You could say the same thing about Florida State. Like Florida State wasn't a power in the 50 – it was formerly an all-girls teaching school. Bobby Bowden made them relevant in the 80s. They, they couldn't win the big game, wide right, wide right. In the 90s, they became arguably the team of the 90s. And then Bobby leaves. Jimbo was kind of up and down. Jimbo had the one title with Jameis, and then it started going south quickly under Jimbo. Then they make a, a horrifically bad hire. But Florida State hasn't been this juggernaut. For, I mean, they're not, they're not Southern Cal, Notre Dame. They don't have that type of history either. But both those programs should be good year in, year out, mm. with an occasional chance of winning really high stakes. And for whatever reason, Florida hasn't been since Urban. You can say a bunch of bad hires. You could say, J.C., you like the word culture a lot. I think there, that's certainly something to that. Um, but how you get to the point where you're just – you're not even relevant on the national landscape, That's I think that's concerning to a lot of Florida fans and how it got to yeah. that point. It's, well, yeah, the problem is, though, man, look at this. Zook, three years, fired before the end of his third. Muschiep, four, fired before the end of his fourth. McElwain, three years, fired before the end of his third. Mullen, three years, fired before the end of his third. There's not a program in college. I don't care who you are, Gator fans. That, that, that that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask Tennessee basketball about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they they kept had changing coaches. You know, are, are, you can't, especially in football too. You can't build in football overnight. And, and people can say I'm wrong now because of Deion Sanders uh, in Colorado. That's an outlier right now still. Well, they Florida Fires, Billy either, Napier. Right? Yeah, you, you, and he had to know. I don't know. I just, it, it, I could, I could talk about Napier all day. I, I just don't. I think the worst thing Florida could do 
would be to get rid of him. Yeah, I don't even think that should be in the discussion, but it's out there. It, it is. It is. It, it is. is absolutely out there to where everybody who has access to what his buyout is is throwing it out there and like mm-hmm. uh, it, it shouldn't be out there and i don't even think it's a realistic thing that can happen but th- those things tend to snowball a lot in college football where you keep hearing it, you keep hearing it and you're like oh that's ridiculous and then all of a sudden more and more validity comes to it um and all it takes as we know you know, you could be an AD in college football and have some power, but when some big, big-time boosters and donors decide it's time, very often they have the trump card, right? I mean, we see that in college athletics quite a bit. You talk about head coaches calling plays, too. So the expectation at Florida when your head coach calls plays are two guys, Steve Spurrier, Dan Mullen, both pretty good at it. Right. Napier is a head coach who calls plays. He is not an elite play caller. Right. So – that's and, gonna and, come up, and we've talked and about that's this on up. absolutely. We've talked about this on this show for years. The DNA of a program. If you're gonna lose mm-hmm. at Florida games like that, then lose forty-five to thirty-seven. But <laughs> yeah. but don't roll into Lexington and struggle to find the end zone. That mm-hmm. doesn't go over well. There's just that they they expect points with that program. All right, final one, real quick. Pack two, Paul from Charlotte. Love the show, guys. Best CFB listen out there. We thank you for that. Uh, okay, Mike, this question is for you specifically. was watching the Colorado-USC game Saturday on Fox, and it was clear Gus Johnson was openly, openly rooting for Dion's Buffaloes and sounded depressed whenever the Trojans did something well. Apparently I wasn't the only one who noticed. I thought national announcers were supposed to be unbiased in their calls. What gives? I'm going to be real careful with this one for obvious reasons. Um I, I, all I can say is I've heard uh, those complaints, not not specifically just with a specific announcer, but just in general. And look, there's no doubt there's a faction of the national media that is clearly dressing the, dressing up as cheerleaders with pom poms for for Colorado. I mean, it, I mean it's <laughs> I predicted that was going to happen before the season even started. Uh, so I'm not going to comment specifically on, on that crew or that game or what have you, but yeah, if, if you're going to be turned off that Colorado is kind of the media darling, you're going to be turned off for a good portion of this season. Now, if they lose more games, uh, that'll probably fade a little bit, but for the time being, there's, there's no, I mean, I've heard things like Deanna's revolutionized college football. He's the face of college football. Again, I'm, I'm happy for him. And I think it's good that he's that he's part of college football. It gives us something to talk about. It gives Colorado relevance. But none of those things are true. He hasn't revolutionized the game. He's not the face of college football. Um, that's hyperbole at its best. But you know that happens. As far as announcers pulling for a particular team, I'd like to hope that that doesn't happen. It certainly uh, shouldn't. When you're watching the game, you shouldn't feel that way. Most announcers, I can tell you, we are a selfish group. And we want a good game to call, which means competitive. We don't want to blow out. We don't really care one way or another who wins uh, when we're doing the game. We selfishly want just a really good game. Makes us feel better, sound better. Uh, we have better ratings when that happens. So I will just throw that out there as a, a postscript to that. Uh, again, our thanks to everybody, including our fine, fine sponsors and partners, including Elite Roofing and Restoration. For those of you listening in Georgia, Florida, the Carolinas, parts of Tennessee, 
only one person to call, schedule a free uh, inspection. I just got a notice in the mail about uh, my roof being a certain amount of years old. Thankfully, I know who to call because I've done it twice before. When I need a new roof, it's Jeremy Johnson of Elite Roofing and Restoration. You can get a free inspection by calling 678-781-1998. That number's at the bottom of your screen, 678-781-1998. More than 25 years' experience. They know how to deal with insurance companies who will do everything in their power not to pay for it because that's just what they do. Uh, you can also email Elite Roofing and Restoration at gmail.com. JC, it's been fun, my man. I hope you get a, a safe trip back to Chi-Town. Oh, yeah. And enjoy that great buffet over there at that two-and-a-half-star resort <laughs> that you are staying in. Ah, there's a golden corral across the street. <laughs> so, anyway. The common is, man. Huh? The common man, like, man, J.C. Sherbert. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, as long as uh, you know, I can get through Indiana without pulling my hair out, I'll be fine. So. <laughs> I have faith in you, my man. Uh, have All faith right. in you for sure. Appreciate you getting up early. Mad Dog, Phil Molinax, keeping us technically sound as possible. And for all you that uh, tune in each and every week, we appreciate you choosing us. We've had uh, sensational numbers the last few weeks, and we hope that keeps up as well. For JC, for Phil, it is Mike. We'll see you next Monday right here on JC and Morgan.